Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Simple Tax. Simple Tax makes it a piece of cake to file your 2017 tax return online. You just answer a few simple questions, autofill your slips with data directly from the CRA, and let the optimizer find your maximum refund guaranteed. And then you pay them whatever you feel like. You can pay them nothing if that's what you feel like. Go to simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. That is simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos smart speakers are remarkable. Not only do they sound great, but I'm learning that the block between people and podcasts is often not knowing how to subscribe to podcasts. And now all of these people have these smart speakers in their home where you can just say, Alexa, play the Canada Land podcast. And that's bringing all these new listeners. I am very excited about these products. I have them in my home. The sound quality is fantastic. And because you are a listener of the Canada Land podcast, you will get 10% off of an order of up to $2,500. That offer is available for a limited time only for listeners of this podcast. Can't be combined with other discounts or promotions. To get it, go to Sonos.com and use the promo code CANADA10. That's CANADA10.
Nobody wakes up and says, you know what I would like today is I would like to be rigorously scrutinized in public. I want the way that I do my job to be investigated and analyzed and then debated and criticized by everybody. What I need in my life is more accountability. That's just not something that people tend to genuinely ask for ever. Elected officials tend to love the concept, or at least to say that they love the concept, of a free and independent press. But that specific journalist who's all up in my business, that reporter's an asshole. Why do powerful people put up with us? Politicians, police, business leaders. Why do they answer our questions? Why do they let us into their homes and places of business? Why do they send us information? Why do they even let us near them? Well, it is not because they want to. It's because they have to. Because of the law? To a point. But, like, so much of this in practice happens due to convention. The ability for reporters to cover a crime scene, to swarm a politician for an impromptu scrum, to get a seat at a committee meeting, to stick a camera in a cop's face. There is a lot of wiggle room that authorities have to ignore us or to lock us out. Or even, it seems, to lock us up. Today, two interviews with two journalists who might go to jail for doing their jobs. And you know what? These cases happen all the time. Authorities are always testing the boundaries, always pushing the boundaries, pushing back on the press to redraw the lines, to reset precedents so that they will make themselves less accountable. That is business as usual for this always to be happening. But what is unusual is how many cases like this we are seeing right now. Cases of authorities surveying journalists, targeting journalists, making themselves unaccountable to journalists and coming after journalists. And one thing you will note is that neither of the journalists I talked to today, Ben McCoo of Vice News, who is facing jail time for refusing to give his files to the RCMP, and Justin Brake of APTN, formerly of the Newfoundland Independent, are from a major established mainstream Canadian news organization. That is not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that these are the guys who are being made examples of. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Dan Moreau, Kyla Ronellenfitch, Stuart Oak, Vincent Zalarni, Rob Shearer, Peggy Cook, Chris Mella, and Alyssa Quinney. My name is Alyssa, and I'm a web developer from Calgary. And I'm supporting Canada Land because I love learning about Canada in a way that doesn't paint it as a weird utopia of politeness and poutines. I especially love commons and their way of not only bringing attention to important issues, but also putting a spotlight on the individuals making a positive impact on their communities. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone. 
around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. And once again, this episode is brought to you by Simple Tax. Look, there's a lot of uh, software out there that will let you kind of go through the steps to file your own return. This happens to be an excellent version of that kind of a product with one key difference. Not only does it sort of make it kind of just plug in your data, not only is it completely compatible with CRA, not only is it optimized to get you the biggest return you can possibly get, and they actually guarantee that, but the big distinction here is that it's pay what you want. 99% of people who use Simple Tax give it four stars or higher. It is designed and made in Canada by a small team that really cares about what they are doing. To check this out, go to simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. That is simpletax.ca slash CanadaLand. Speaking of money stuff, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Freelancers, business owners, your tax season is here. And whether you are using software to prepare your return or an accountant, that process will be so much easier if you have been using FreshBooks all year as I have personally and as this business CanadaLand has. FreshBooks is the way to do this kind of stuff. Do yourself a huge favor. Go and check out FreshBooks cloud accounting software. It saves you time every week. It saves you time every time you use it. It gets you paid quicker and it saves you a ton of time when you need to assemble everything for taxes. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to CanadaLand listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and enter CanadaLand in How Did You Hear About Us? So the Supreme Court, big time. I must say, it's a very surreal experience. And how long has this been going on? We spoke about this not long after it all started. When was that? I wasn't there when I got served. Uh, We had served in two different offices in in Montreal and in Toronto in February. And I had actually been in Russia reporting on Putin. And I had just finished covering the assassination of Boris Nemtsov and basically stood in the guy's blood at one point because we were right around the corner from the bridge that he was murdered on. So we were one of the first news teams on the scene. And it was sort of like a whirlwind couple days. And then I got on a plane. I went back to Toronto. Immediately, Patrick McGuire, who was the then head of Vice Canada editorially, took me aside and late at night because he had to and told me that the RCMP had come with officers serving me with a production order to give up all of my information and source materials on Mohammed Farah Shudan, 
who is an alleged ISIS fighter who I was in contact with for quite a while. You were not able to be personally served because you were standing in the blood of an assassinated uh, Russian spy. Or, you're just showing off now. That's a pretty cool couple of days. Um, <laughs> that was a surreal couple of days, I must say. I think there was a moment where I was like, what is my life? What am I doing? How did I yeah. get to this point? We're going to get into that, but let's do the synopsis. What the hell happened? Long story short, I was in contact with a number of ISIS and Al-Qaeda fighters who originated from mostly Western countries, some of which were from Canada, one of which became this very prolific character, a spokesperson for ISIS named Farah Mohammed Shirdan. He went by the alias Abu Usama, and he was this guy who was in a video burning his passport, uh, and it was a Canadian passport, and he kind of became this English-speaking young you know, ISIS recruit. It was very emblematic of that exact moment. This is back in 2014. We conducted a series of text exchanges. He essentially ended up telling me a lot about his, you know, the reasons for which he went abroad and fought and his motivations to sort of the command and organizational structure of recruits, how they saw social media as very important for recruitment. And then he went on to threaten Canada about two weeks before the attack on Parliament Hill. And I remember I had this information where he said Canada is a part of this crusader alliance and we hope that there's blood that spills under their streets as well or something to that effect. And I was sitting on sort of this very serious threat. I made sure to publish this and get it out there. And then two weeks later, this very unfortunate event happens. I was served in February 2015 to give up all of my source materials. There was about a nine-month gag order, which was top secret. I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And then finally, in fall of 2015, we went public with it and we got a court date. And that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> this isn't the case of you knowing the identity of somebody and refusing to give it up. They know his name. And to the people who would say, hey, if you have information that can help them stop an ISIS guy who's making threats against Canada, you should share that with the cops. Do you have information that could help the cops potentially avert uh, some sort of terrorist action? Absolutely not. I think the information I had, even when they were asking for it, was already outdated. I didn't have information that I ever sat on. I published everything I, I knew using my journalistic objectivity and what I deemed to be news. And I think any journalist who deals with sources, whether it be politicians or local journalists talking to local shop owners, you listen to what they say and you know what the public needs to know and you put it out there, which is exactly what I did. He wasn't the only guy. There were several individuals I spoke to and I always made sure to be very transparent as to what they were saying and how they were saying it in order to make sure that the public knew and also the authorities knew I, I wasn't, I'm not hiding anything. Okay. Well, that brings up two questions. I'll ask you both of them, but one of them I'm also going to direct to the RCMP because it's a question for them. If you are not sitting on information that is of any real value for counterterrorism, then why fight for years to keep that information from the RCMP? And the last time we spoke, you told me that you'd be willing to go to jail potentially if they forced you to hand over your materials. Because this is a fundamental problem with the way that the RCMP has conducted themselves to my measure. This is essentially them asking me to become an arm of the intelligence gathering machine. And that's a very dangerous precedent to set for journalism in Canada. The reason this has gone to the Supreme Court is for exactly that. This hasn't exactly been contested since, you know, I think it's 25 years ago. So beyond just not wanting to become an arm of the intelligence gathering to become police, it also just in a much more practical sense, it makes it impossible to get sources, right? Because then you would not be able to say to a source, I can protect you. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly it. It's a chilling effect. You know, there's a reason that we protect things like the freedom of the press. It's a very important thing for 
saying truth to power, for exposing things that governments don't want to expose. I mean, th these things are very important. And I think when you start to infringe on that, to my mind, as I said, it's something that I couldn't abide by. Is jail still a possibility? Are you willing to do that if you have to? Well, jail is certainly a possibility. I, I would say that I'm just as willing as I ever have to take this as far as it needs to go. Let's say they know that you don't have anything, as you say you don't, that you haven't published. Why would they take it to the Supreme Court, do you think? I think they're testing their powers in this brand new information environment. When this is last sort of taken to court in a real way, Skype and Facebook and Twitter didn't really exist. And I think that they're testing their powers in this new information age where they can start picking and choosing what they say and what they think is, is useful to them. And the other thing is it's just classic, you know, war on terrorism behavior from a Western government. I mean, you look at somebody like James Risen and the way he was taken to court to give up a source. Obama essentially had a war on whistleblowers and on journalists. So this is something that's sort of in lockstep with the U.S. government behavior. And I think that that's what we're seeing here in Canada, especially given my situation. The reason why they're willing to take this to the top is basically the same reason you have to set a precedent. They just want to set a different precedent than you. Absolutely. I think that's 100% why it is. Why did they target me? I don't know. I think perhaps because I was with an upstart media company and they thought that I would be spooked and just give it to them. But I think, as you said, it's as much as I want to try to set a precedent, so do they. There is a press shield law now that is specifically introduced into law to protect confidential sources. A, it doesn't cover you because it came after you, but even if it was law when this happened, it probably wouldn't have covered you. No, but as I understand it, the one thing that could have happened was this law would have required a pre-argument to produce the production order as to why this was useful to the police. So, you know, it doesn't cover me. I think it should. I think there's stuff that should be covered in that. I do think it's a first step and a very necessary first step. There is something like 36, 37 states or even maybe even more, I might have my numbers off, that have press shield laws and we didn't have them. So to have any at all instituted is a great thing. But I do think my case has the opportunity to push this further and I do hope that's the case. Do you think that that law had anything to do with your case? I certainly think it had something to do with it or at least the media noise surrounding press laws and press shields for journalists because... You know, at the time I'd gotten served not long after Patrick Lagasse, there was, you know, stories about him being spied on by the government, all these sorts of things. I think all of the noise surrounding that was important in getting people's attention. Do you feel like this moment in Canada, journalists are especially under fire from the state? Uh, I do. That said, I think that there's been similar pressures before in the past. Just look at the global state of the respect for journalism and journalists. Journalism has never been more popular and more consumed. And I think journalists have never been less respected. And I think that that's something people really have to start realizing. The fact that you have rhetoric like fake news and that sessions in the States where he's talked about going after reporters, this is scary stuff. This is how totalitarian states begin. And I think Canada is not immune to similar conversations. And I think that thus far, Trudeau quite often says we, you know, we care about journalists in this country, but I don't think his government has really, you know, besides this press shield law, which was born out of a conservative senator, I don't think he's been much different than any other prime minister in Canada when it comes to journalists. It was a great story. I mean, what a get to find this Farah Shirdan. He was a character and he was like, hey man, like propagandizing for ISIS in this very colloquial bro-y kind of tone. Oh yeah. Lol, homie, stuff like that. Like he would say all sorts of things to me. I asked him one time how he outsmarted this CSIS interrogator before he left. He's like, I'm an actor, homie. Lol. And it was just this moment where you're like, this is millennial meet terrorism. Very strange.
I mean, perfect vice story. What a source for a vice story. And then what do I see almost as soon as you find this guy, not you interviewing him, but Shane Smith interviewing him. Is there any chance of Shane Smith going to jail? No, I don't believe so. Uh Uh-huh. Different jurisdictions too. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Just thought I'd check about that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I think he's in the States. I wanted just finally to ask you, has this slowed your role? Has this fucked up your game as a journalist? I would say no, it hasn't. In fact, I think in some ways it's helped. I think now continue to speak to militants for a time. And, you know, I was able to speak with a lot of far right individuals. I did a documentary recently that was nominated for a CAJ award. I was with the soldiers of Odin for a while. I gained their trust. They spoke to me and we were able to expose a lot of what they were doing. And I'm really proud of the work that the team I'm involved with and myself do. I've had journalists come up to me and be like, your career's made, man. Great. That's been really tough pill to swallow because there has actually been a serious mental health repercussion to this for myself. I still think with this sort of paranoia that I've got, you know, every time there was a court case, I thought, okay, I've got at least eight to 12 months of freedom. (laughs) Like I, I won't be faced with the possibility of going to jail. Some people think I'm catastrophizing that, but they're not in my position. They don't know what that feels like. And I think when you have that on you, it's really not a nice feeling. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's not a joke. When the state is coming after you, they can take your freedom. They they can take everything, right? I think the instinct for some journalists is to say like, oh, everybody wants a story that could go really high and be contested by the Supreme Court and that's on sources and stuff like that. I mean, it's It's an interesting thing, but also nothing's free. And I've really learned that in a visceral way. And I would never hazard anyone to get involved with this industry because it's an amazing profession and especially biased. But I love the national security reporting that goes on. It's never been better. It's a stressful, sometimes quite painful (laughs) job to be in. And my uh, mockery of Shane Smith notwithstanding, you've been able to fight and continue to report other stories because, as I understand, Vice has had your back and your bills throughout this process. Yeah. They've supported me throughout this process. So that's been, you know, very helpful. Yeah, thanks for finding the time. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Quick note to say that we asked the RCMP to talk to us about this case, and they said, as this matter is currently before the courts, we are unable to comment. It's good to be the first at a lot of things. I don't know that the unprecedented thing that you've done first is necessarily what you were aiming to do first. Can you give everybody a quick summary of what you did at the Muskrat Falls project in Labrador? I had traveled to Labrador to cover just the on-the-ground resistance to the project. People in uh, communities in Labrador had been voicing concerns and opposition to the project on the basis that it was likely to contaminate their traditional food source that they've depended on for hundreds, and in some cases for the Innu, thousands of years. I was the only reporter on the ground to cover the arrests of several land protectors One morning before sunrise, after a first injunction was granted to Nalcor Energy, the Crown Corporation, building the dam. And that was the day after the first potential day of reservoir flooding. So after years of uh, trying everything else, writing letters to politicians, holding community meetings, the environmental assessment process, it was now a matter of potentially days before the flooding was going to happen in a way that would harm the animals that people depend on and therefore human health as well. So people got kind of desperate and in a last resort, desperate attempt to protect their food and their way of life and their identity, they occupied the site. And dozens of people flooded through the gate and I simply followed them. They went through despite there being an injunction in place. So people were literally putting their bodies and their safety and everything on the line 
to stand up for something that was so important to them. And to me, that was newsworthy and it had to be told. What I did is not unprecedented. I covered a protest and that's something that journalists do in Canada. And it's a very important part of our job and of contributing to the well-being of democracy in our country. I'm not even the first to cover an Indigenous-led protest, and not even the first to cover an Indigenous-led occupation of a site. This is something that's happened in Canada before we look at OCA, for instance. What's unprecedented is that I'm being criminalized for that journalism. That's a really important distinction. I thank you for it, that the unprecedented part of this is not something that you did, but what was done to you. Uh, As I recall, because you were able to live stream what was happening on the occupied site, We did get a picture that we would not have gotten. I think a lot of people will hear you talk about the protesters, you call them land protectors, and feel that you are very sympathetic to their cause. Do you think that your sympathy or your perceived sympathy to their cause might have something to do with the fact that you were singled out in a way that journalists in the past have not been singled out by authorities who may have been confused as to whether you were one of the protesters or whether your your sympathy to their cause made you fair game in a way that other journalists would not be? As a non-Indigenous reporter reporting on very important Indigenous issue, it's upon me to represent people the way that they want to be represented. I can't impose my non-Indigenous settler colonial biases on Indigenous uh, people who are who are undertaking a very important action and participating in a very important moment in history for them. They said throughout the media coverage during that period, we are not protesters. We're literally protecting our land. Calling them land protectors gives a more apt description of what they're actually doing. And to me, it's the safest way to not impose my beliefs my uh, ideas of objectivity on Indigenous people who have different ideas of objectivity and give the public a more, uh, I think, apt description of what's actually happening. The the word protest and protesters carry connotations with it too. So uh, to me, I look at at people who say that and say, well, clearly you you haven't really thought this through. The information that was coming out, you said it could have been a potentially hostile situation. I think it could have been perceived as one. I think that's a default. You talk about the kind of biases people bring in. I think people might have assumed that if they hadn't had your camera there. Well, the Crown Corporation running the project tweeted moments after the gate was breached that there was a security risk and a safety risk to their workers and to protesters. That's what they said. And I actually saw a reporter from the daily paper in the province retweet that and saying, what are you doing to protect the workers in there? So not only was the corporation putting out a particular message that indicated that there may be a safety or security issue, but journalists were uncritically interpreting that information and putting it back out there on social media. So my first live stream began minutes after that tweet from Nalcor Energy, and I think almost immediately, particularly when land protectors entered the work site where workers stay on site and sleep and eat and everything during their shifts there had been any concern about safety, that was kind of the moment that it became clear that uh, the nature of these protests were not violent and not hostile. You saw land protectors and workers shaking hands and hugging each other. It's important that journalists are on the ground to document these kinds of activities, and especially in a time of so-called reconciliation. We know that when journalists are not present, police have been able to act with impunity. The, the Ipperwash inquiry, in fact, identified the lack of a media presence as a concerning thing in the, in the wake of the shooting and killing of Dudley George by a police officer. If we say we're listening now as Canadians to Indigenous people's concerns 
as reporters, we need to be there. We need to follow the story wherever it goes. In this case, I don't think it was absurd at all. I think I wouldn't have been doing my job had I not followed the story. No contest to all of that, but my question was, do you think that your point of view on these issues and your perceived sympathy to their case, which I can understand people walking away from that impression that you are sympathetic to their case, do you think that that is why a line was crossed that has never, perhaps never been crossed before in bringing criminal charges against you for covering the story? Is that why you were singled out? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. You'd have to ask the people who are pursuing the charges against me. The few times that I have been called biased or an activist, I've said, you know, like I'm actually like just pro-human rights, pro-Indigenous rights. I mean, these are things that are enshrined in our Constitution. So interpreting the Constitution in such a way that informs my reporting, I don't think makes me biased at all. And, uh, you know, as a journalist, last time I talked to you when I was still in Labrador in the fall of 2016, I explained to you that it was actually a historic moment. The fact that Inu and Inuit and, and settlers had come together in Labrador over a common cause and united. And I remember your response to that saying, OK, well, whatever your personal politics are, you kind of brush to the side. And at the moment, it kind of irked me a little bit because I was trying to explain that this is not my biased interpretation. This is actually a newsworthy, objectively newsworthy event because of these, you know, X, Y, Z factors. We don't know everything, but it is our job to understand, learn as much as we can about an issue that we're reporting on, report it to the best of our ability, give the facts that we know and continue to learn about the issues that we continue to cover. And if we can file another report on the same issue, if we've learned more, then we throw that in too. We bring the public up to our understanding of the issue, and we listen to the public and the people we're reporting on when they have new information to provide to us. So it's a discourse. So what I'm saying is in terms of my understanding of what was happening on the ground in Labrador, I reported to the best of my ability, the concerns of the people who were saying that within a matter of days, they could lose a food source they've had for thousands of years that is fundamental to their well-being and their identity. And I gave that to readers. And then when the people I was covering took it to the uh, extreme step, they put their bodies and safety and personal well-being on the line to protect that food. That was a huge, crucial, important moment. Well, you're giving me something to think about. I mean, I certainly did hear when you were talking about the unprecedented and historical nature of this collaborative action, I did, you know, uh, take that in as you were extolling the virtues of this. And I said, well, I get that you love these protesters. Let's move on. And the point you're making now is, no, that is as newsworthy a point as anything else that these people came together in this unprecedented way. I don't love the protesters. I simply understood their situation and followed them. I mean, I knew a few of them at that point, but most of the people who occupied the Muskrat Falls site, I didn't know. What I'm saying is that I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that I, I may have been bringing in some unconscious bias into perceiving it that way. You're in the middle of an actual, rather scary legal fight, and I still want to give our listeners just the basic details of that. Tell me what the worst case scenario is here if this criminal case does not go your way. The worst case scenario for me is that I don't get to continue covering these protests in the future. I could face a fine. I could face potentially a small amount of jail time, I think. But what worries me as a journalist who really cares about Indigenous issues is that when things like the Kinder Morgan pipeline protest, suddenly an injunction is put in place. Suddenly private property rights seem to trump Canadians' right to know. I'm afraid of what can happen to people uh, in these spaces, and more importantly, that the information 
cannot flow out of these spaces. Journalists just need to be there, and Canadians have the right to know what happens in these spaces. In Canada, corporations more and more are getting these injunctions to keep Indigenous people off their quote-unquote private property. These injunctions compel police to go and physically remove Indigenous bodies from defending their land. My interpretation of the injunction in Labrador was that's what it was for. I mean, it's explicitly named some of the land protectors. I didn't think it was an injunction to keep journalists from reporting on the story. Do you think that if you were Justin Brake of CBC or Justin Brake of the Globe and Mail, this would have happened to you? I don't know. I don't really know how well I was known when the reporting was happening. Again, I'm not the right party to ask in that respect if you want a real answer, but um I will say that I wasn't the only reporter to go through the gate. I think almost everybody involved knows that at this point. I mean, when the gate came down, there were other reporters that went through the gate, interviewed a few people, and then went back out again. But they did the same thing or even more than land protectors who have been charged for breaking the injunction. But to my knowledge, those reporters never faced charges. So I certainly wasn't the only reporter to violate the injunction in terms of physically going across that invisible line. But I was the only one that went all the way to the workers' camp and reported from the inside. There were other journalists on site, and I I take your point that they did cross that invisible line to get some interviews. But when the injunction came in, none of them did what you did. None of them went onto the site and embedded with the protesters, land protectors, as you will. Why do you think they held back? As a CBC uh, radio host uh, who interviewed me, they pointed out themselves, CBC has a code of conduct that prohibits them from, quote-unquote, breaking the law. I don't know the exact wording of that particular rule, but, you know, I guess CBC has some antiquated ideas about what is newsworthy and what's not and what the law is. The highest law of the land says the press has the freedom to cover important issues like this. I just think the law is being applied a particular way to me that is unjust and unfair and and is dangerous. Um, I don't know why other reporters didn't go through. Maybe Maybe they hadn't been on the ground as long as I had to see the importance of the of the story that they maybe they didn't recognize how important the story it was, or maybe they were just being told by their bosses not to follow. I don't know. Again, you'd have to go to those reporters and ask them. You know, I think there's the law and then there's the interpretation of the law and the rules as, as long as I think anybody in journalism can remember is that you go where the news is and there's a hands-off philosophy towards the reporters covering things. I think that whether or not you are convicted, Justin, is going to have repercussions, not just for the coverage of Indigenous issues, which is of huge importance, but for the coverage of everything. I mean, this will tell the CBC whether their very conservative attitude towards stepping over invisible lines is accurate or not. And it will inform reporting from every news organization in this country. Uh, this is this is a huge case. It really isn't about the fine that I get. It's about APTN, CBC, Global, CTV, whoever uh, decides as non-Indigenous reporters across this country continue to learn more and more and more about Indigenous people, cultures, issues, and rights, corporations are being given injunctions left, right, and center. So this really is becoming kind of a private property corporate rights thing versus uh, press freedom and the public's right to know. When should you have uh, some closure on this? The two criminal charges I face are going to trial. That's what the Crown has said. They're pursuing the charges to trial and we are waiting on a court, a Newfoundland and Labrador Court of Appeal decision on the civil charge in which we argued uh, as a preliminary argument that my name should never have been put on the first injunction, uh, sorry, the second injunction, or at the very least, the judge who granted that injunction should have been made aware by the corporation 
that he was being asked to order the arrest of a working journalist. But I'm not taking anything for granted now. I'm preparing, uh, quite frankly, to go to trial. We'll leave it there, Justin. And uh, I think that there is one cause that journalists should unabashedly support, and that is journalism itself. So uh, I'll wish you good luck. Thank you. And for anybody who wants to support, uh, we have a crowdfunding campaign, especially where this may be going to trial and potentially to the Supreme Court of Canada. It's defendtheindy.com. Defendtheindy.com. That's the independent who I was working for at the time. Quick note on this interview, uh, we have solicited comment from various parties about Justin Brake's case. And if we do receive word back from them, we will update the website with those remarks. That is your Canada Land Show. You can email me about it. I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is at canadalandshow.com, and that is where we post all kinds of news stories about the Canadian media. There's a new episode of our new politics show, Oppo, this Tuesday. Check it out. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.